Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones. And joining us, because he probably had to pry himself out of the field, because I will tell you what, I know for a fact, because he brings it up every year on this show and he shares it with us, that this man lives in the outdoors during this time of the year. I think he's counting the hairs on elk and and, and, <laughs> and measuring distances for pronghorn. Is that about right? 100%, Terry, 100% right, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, we can joke about it, and if somebody doesn't have the time to do the kind of scouting and prep you do, we're not going to tell them don't go hunting. Make sure you've done enough prep where you're safe, you understand your firearm, you understand where you're hunting, and you can do it safely. But also temper your expectations that if you don't put in the work ahead of time, your chances of success are reduced a lot. That's it, Terry. You know, be safe for yourself. Make sure you can provide an ethical shot on these animals. We owe it to them. Uh, but other than that, that's exactly it. You know, the, the stuff that we talk about through our scouting process is 100% based on the, the person that you and I run into at the sports show. When we're hanging out at, at a retail, we run into people, and people are like, man, I did not have that year. That's what we talk about the scouting because there's a lot of us that, that are, go out there and we hunt and we have a good time, and it's not about the, you know, the harvest rate. It's about the entertainment value of being out in the woods and the traditions of hunting. Um, and not that it's ever about the harvest, but you have somebody like me who, you know, myself, my family, you know, we live on it. We 100%. You know, we, we buy some high-end steaks from time to time, but other than that, we live 100% on wild game. I mean, if anybody's been on my boat, you know, you know, we're eating jerky and elk sticks and, you know, it's a hundred percent live off the land type lifestyle that, that, that we live. Um, you know, so it's one of those things that we know exactly how many animals and how many pounds of meat that we need to, to, to feed ourselves through the year. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a heritage. Um, and you know, we, we pride ourselves on having that success. So for that person who is unhappy with their results in the last couple of years, you know, it's a, it's a big investment on time and energy and money. Uh, so if you do want that success, 100% of that success is the energy you put back into it. So, again, we're not saying you have to do this, but if you are unhappy with your results per se, um, you know, this is the type of thing that you really need to start planning for. And right now uh, we are in it. And this is actually a, a great topic for today. We want to talk about, you know, where you should be scouting, talk about all the big game hunts, and more importantly – Obviously, you know, as a hunter, we, we have a very – we have a few major dates that we kind of thrive on in a year. Now, early April, we put in for our tags. So uh, we put in for our big game registrations, our big game tags. We're applying for units, applying for tags, uh, and that's going to be early in the year. Then we have a long waiting period, and then our results come back. You know, so sometime in May and June, uh, you're going to know if you were successful or unsuccessful on big game draws here in Colorado. Obviously, that is one of the big turning points points where we start planning we know where we're going to hunt where we where we were not successful so we're looking for other options um so there's a lot of of anticipation to to plan that now the people who are unsuccessful there's another opportunity coming up here and that is actually this tuesday at 9 a.m and this is going to be an issue where there's going to be a lot of tags available so this is going to be limited license unlimited license there's going to be a situation where there's been tags that have been reissued 
turn them in for whatever reason. So there is now a variety of, of general tags, very high-end tags, um, just, to, again, a lot of opportunity to purchase a tag, and that is going to be this week, and that's going to be Tuesday at 9 a.m. So for all those who are unsuccessful, I know a lot of people are, are now planning to, to make that next opportunity to, to get their tags. And really, after Tuesday, um, you are 100% going to be need, needing and or – able to put a plan together. So whether there's a a tag on this list that you're trying to get on Tuesday, if you are successful or unsuccessful, uh, you are then looking at the next option, which is going to be all of your general tags. You're going to have opportunity at a general over-the-counter archery tag, a general over-the-counter, you know, second or third rifle tag. Um, So again, after Tuesday, there's no more secrets. After Tuesday, it, it basically is what it is for a tag. So this is literally the week to where there's no more excuse. I talk to people, and I'm like, have you been out scouting? I'm like, no, but waiting to, waiting to see what's on the leftover list to see if there's opportunities. So I understand you don't want to scout somewhere where you don't have a tag. Um, so, again, I, I give a little leeway. But after Tuesday, you know, we can't make up excuses anymore. There's no time like the present. After Tuesday, you need to start putting those plans in place to where you start – Scouting, educating yourself on the resource, know where you're going, know a plan, know a general elevation that where the animals are at um, and things like that. So that's a, a major key point that we're really starting to, to focus on here, especially after Tuesday is when it's time to put a plan in place because uh, it is what it is. After but, and you know, Nate, that a lot of the scouting doesn't it, – it, it's not like it's boring – arduous work you're in the outdoors you're hiking you're watching wildlife you're seeing how they act and how they live and becoming one with nature it's some of the best parts and i always take an ultralight uh, spinning rod or a fly rod with me when i'm scouting in those type of areas and you know because the animals are mostly going to move early and late then i'll do some fishing oh absolutely terry it's 100 percent. i mean again you see so much stuff i mean you know just the the general wildlife you know what are scouting for deer and you see elk or you're scouting for elk and deer and you see moose or sheep or, you know, mountain goats. I mean, you see so much, you know, wildlife. It's, it's just unbelievable. And again, you know, a lot of times you're, you're getting out of the city, you're up in the high country. It's great. You know, you're, you're in some cooler temperatures, avoiding the heat. Uh, absolutely. I mean, my family, you know, you, I have five and a half year old twins and, and they live for the scouting as much as the opportunity when we get to take them out in the field and we're actually, you know, hunting and pursuing an animal. Um, you know, I got my kids' little binoculars, and, and they love the, the whole traditions of scouting. It's just a part of what it is. Um, and I'll tell you what, you know, you talk to a, a fly fisherman, and there's no – you go out, you buy a fly, and you go catch a fish, and it's rewarding. The fly fisherman that ties a fly – and catches a fish has a, a little bonus reward. It's just really neat to know that you did the full scale. I'll tell you, when you go out scouting and you find animals, and then in a couple of weeks when you're out there in the field and you have the chance to harvest one of the animals that you've seen uh, during that scouting, it's again, it's that next step to be like, man, you know, I put the pattern together. I literally educated myself on you know a handful of animals, and now here I am actually getting pursue one of the animals that I scouted. Um, and again, that's a that's a major part of this. Um, and with that being said, we're now getting into the phase where obviously pronghorn here is in. You know, it's the fifteenth, so we're less than two weeks away from that pronghorn tag. So we're very excited about that because um, again, that that's kind of the first. 
first, uh, you know, general tags that everybody's going to be out there in the field chasing. Uh, I know if you saw some stuff on Instagram or Facebook, uh, I have I have numerous plans. This this is actually my first year. I'm actually hunting eastern Colorado. Uh, normally, I actually hunt a lot of the pronghorn up in the mountains. Uh, I've actually never had a far eastern tag before, uh, at least archery tag before. So I'm excited. I'm, I'm out there, and actually, the area that I'm hunting, ton of public ground, um, and a lot of hunters. It's a general tag. Uh, everybody can purchase one. And with that being said, these antelope and pronghorn are so sketchy. They, they're they scared of their own shadow, uh, which I'm really excited to kind of have that opportunity to, to chase that, that different type animal before. So I have, I have, I have decoys in my truck ready to go. I have doe and buck pronghorn decoys. Uh, so that rut kicks up. I, I, I always love decoying them. That's usually one of my go-to uh, patterns. Um, I have livestock decoys to where, you know, if these animals are in a, a pasture where they have cattle around, I, I, I love using a, a cow decoy to try to sneak up on them. Um, and then obviously I put some blinds on water. Now I've hunted out of a blind on water holes for every animal out there. And it crazy enough thing, probably the most common technique for pronghorn hunting, uh, is hunting over water. And I've actually never shot one on water before. I've always decoyed and blind and ambushed and spot and stocked and done all this other stuff. Uh, so I have a ton of blinds on water. Now we have a lot of water this year. So that seems kind of like a unique, uh, or a, a, not, not necessarily the, the best plan because we have water everywhere. Uh, uh, but I actually found a water hole that had never existed before, and it filled up due to all this rain, and it's right in the middle of all their feeding grounds. So right where these pronghorn, I have soy grum, I have alfalfa, I have natural gas. I kind of have a great little spot out here, and there's a water hole that literally just appeared about a week ago because all the rain right in the middle of it. And these pronghorn are literally already wearing a path getting into this water hole. Uh, so I threw a blind up there, so I'm, I'm scouting, and I am ready for that. And then as we're moving into the elk and deer, one of the biggest things that I talk about and I preach about big game hunting um, is having a style. And early in the season, you know, this is a later year for, for elk and deer as far as the archery seasons go. The calendar year fell late. It's great. So we're in the woods a little later than normal. Uh, but with that being said, everybody wants that experience to call elk. They want to have that, that talking relationship. They want to bugle. They want a cow call. They want that bull to come running in. And generally speaking, those opportunities don't exist until a little later in September. You know, usually it's that somewhere between that 8th, 10th, 12th of September when really that rut kicks in and these animals get fired up. Um, and a lot of times it's just not quite happening early season. But to up your odds, if you are that hunter that's looking for that, we always really promote hunters to, to hunt the elevations. So, so many of the big game units that you can hunt this coming year are going to have, you know, various elevations. I mean, if you look through the, the, uh, the topography of the land, none of our mountain areas are flat. There's always going to be some high peaks and there's going to be some low country. And I always tell bow hunters in this early season, chase those elevations. If you have a unit that has high elevation and low elevation, plan those first, you know, the first third portion of that season up in that high country. And then as the whole state starts to cool off, follow those elevations down. But again, the animals that are up highest are going to be in cooler temps, and those will be the first animals to show signs of rut. And then as you move down and, and or as you move on with the season, you start to get into early, mid-September, all of a sudden the mid-range of elevation is going to cool off, and those animals are going to fire up. And then when you get towards the later portion of September, you're going to get in those lower elevations, and those bulls are going to start firing up and showing those major signs of rut. So literally, we always try to hunt these animals in the first portion of their ruts. These bulls go from being independent 
to all of a sudden gathering cows. Now, once they gather a bunch of cows and they have a large harem, they're not near as, as, you know, as approachable what they call. They have their cows. They have their harem. They're very content. But in the average window, it takes a bull about five days to really build up their harem to where they want it. So every year you have a, a very awesome five-day window where even the biggest bulls out there are very conducive to calling because they're looking for that harem. So I break it down in elevation. So I get a major five days up in the high country. I get a strong five days kind of in the middle elevation, I get a really strong five days in that lower elevation. So I chase my elevations, and it really gives me the, the peak opportunity at calling the elk if that's the style and the opportunities that you're looking for on your Colorado big game hunt. That sounds great, Nate. We are out of time. Um, we're going to continue this for several weeks, as you always do. 20 seconds, if you were taking somebody fishing tomorrow, where would you take them? Absolutely. I, I hate to keep beating on the same bush, but Spinney Mountain Reservoir is just as good as it gets. Big rainbows, big pike. Uh, that is fishing solid. And we do it for everybody that's out there listening to hunting stuff. Uh, I have a seminar this Tuesday, actually going to be in Boulder uh, later in the evening. I believe it starts at 6 p.m., but you can go to the Tightline Outdoors Facebook page or the Nate V Facebook page. Uh, look for those details later on this evening. But I am hosting a hunting seminar this Tuesday afternoon. Again, go to the Tightline Outdoors page or the Nate Zelensky Facebook page uh, for details on that we can talk personally about all the stuff that we've been covering all right my friend uh, and tightline outdoors if they want to book a fishing trip uh, yep, absolutely we will talk to you again next week thank you sir talk you bet you. nate Zelinski, always a great resource take a quick time out we come back sam heckman is going to join us and we're going to talk about fishing in the southeast reservoirs from pueblo and trinidad out to john martin on terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, who is having their tremendous rebate sale on ATVs and side-by-sides now. Stop by and get ready for your hunting season. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us, uh, Mr. Sam Heckman. You see him at the International Sportsman's Exposition. He's an incredibly accomplished tournament bass angler. And one of the things I love best about him is the time and energy he spends with the youth in Colorado. Good morning, Sam. Terry, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Um, I want to talk about some of the fishing down southeast, but before we get to that, um, you're headed somewhere today. Tell me about that. Yeah, we're heading to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. We're going to be fishing Pool 2 for the junior, the TBF Junior World Championships, uh, and the two kids that uh, qualified as a team are out of my Southern Colorado Junior Bass Club, and they're from Beulah, Colorado. So I want everybody to wish them luck, and hopefully we can bring home the trophy. We have had some really great success with youth youth bass fishermen in Colorado, haven't we? Yes, we have. And it's uh, it's partly because we got a lot of talented kids, and the fact that you really can learn to fish bass in Colorado, and also partly because people like you give time to these kids, Sam. So thank you. Hey, let's up uh, before we, I, we haven't got a ton of time, so I want to talk. It's been a different year this year, and you know we've got a lot of summer left. But I'm kind of telling people you can't go by the playbook you'd normally go by this time of the year. Now, you fish a lot of the southern, south, south central, and, and southeastern uh, reservoirs. Is that what you're finding, too? Yeah, to- this is a totally different year, Terry. It's it's crazy with the, you know, we had such a late uh, spring. You know, we didn't, well, I guess we didn't really have a spring. And then we have all this high water now with all the snowfall and snow melt and uh the torrential rains we're getting every afternoon. It's it's these lakes are high down here and, and they're they're changing. They're changing all the time. Uh, but there is some great fishing down there. 
Absolutely, absolutely. The fish are still there. They're just spread out more. You get more water uh, than you had, you know, with our irrigation lakes. They're normally low this time of year and getting lower all the way into November. But uh, they remain stable and high. I mean, they've been high as they have been in the spring. So uh, the fish are spread out. There's lots of grass growing, um, you know, and, and the shad are, are scattered. Uh, so, you know, there's still a lot of fish to be caught. You're just going to have to work a little harder to get them. Well, you know, and you, you hit on a point that this water is going to be tremendous for our fisheries. It's great for recruitment. It's great for growth. It's nutrients in the water. And there's habitat. So it always results in a boom to our fishing fish populations. But during it, when you have full lakes, there's fish are spread out. There's more water to cover. And so many people fish memories. Well, that memory might be 50 feet deep right now, or, or the fish aren't even there because the high waters pulled them up towards shore. Let's, let's go quickly through a few of the lakes. What are you seeing at Pueblo first? Uh, Pueblo right now, Terry, it's, it's, it's hot. Water's high and we've been getting quite a bit, uh, We've been getting quite a bit of rain down here in the afternoons. Uh, yesterday we had a torrential rainfall, so you know the water's somewhat off-colored, you know, in the drains and up in the river channel. But uh, you know the fish are still there. You're catching quite a few, but they're not. The big ones are hard to find right now. You can go down there and, and still have the 50 fish days and walleye or bass, uh, but you know catching keepers, you know that's that's getting tough. So where do those fish go this time of year? I wish I knew. I wish I knew exactly where they were every time. But well, uh, well, for those multiple fish days for that action, what kind of presentations are you throwing well, at them? Definitely top water in the morning. You know, you, anybody that's new to Pueblo can run to the dam and throw a pop bar uh, up along, up and down that dam, and you can really catch some nice smallies and uh, get into some spotted bass. And then, you know, as the sun comes up, those fish are, are changing. And, you know, if it's a windy day, you can get them on a spinner bait, some reaction baits, but mostly dragon. Uh, dragging a tube, dragging a grub, um, you can you can really get some decent fish doing that too. Are you seeing any wipers on Pueblo? You know, there's a lot of wipers being caught. You know, I see a lot of pictures. I don't fish for them too much myself, Terry. And you know, a lot of times they're being caught during tournaments on accident. You know, I know of a 14 pounder that was caught on a topwater in Turkey Creek early this year, and it seems to be the majority of where the wipers being caught up in that west end. What about John Martin? That was that has been over the last couple of years one of the best fishing lakes in Colorado. What are you seeing out there? Well, we had a tournament down there uh, about about a month ago. I weighed a five four for big largemouth, and I weighed in sixteen pounds to to win the tournament. So it's it's producing some giant largemouth right now. The the interesting thing I I thought was just kind of crazy was the amount of crappie we were catching. It seemed like every bush, if it wasn't a bass, they had a crappie in it. So the crappie population, they're not giants. You know, they're in that, that 8 to 10-inch range. Uh, you'll catch a couple bigger 14-inchers every now and then. But uh, the, the crappie are just incredible. And they're, uh, there's a lot of white bass being caught um, and a lot of wiper. I mean, uh, sawgai. And wiper mixed in with the white bass, and then there's some sawgais mixed in with them, too. So uh, any particular thing out of the bass, I kind of know what you do. What about some of the other, the saw guy and the white bass, any trick? Yeah, if you're going down to John Martin, just a, a white Mr. Twister, three-inch white Mr. Twister or smoke-colored uh, Mr. Twister, just throw it out, you know, and just work it back really slow. That seems to be, that seems to be the trick down there, and, and anybody new to that can, can catch them on that. I mean, there's lots of different assorted baits you can throw, topwaters and stuff like that, but if you're just going down there and you want to get bit and catch some fish, a little white Mr. Twister never fails, uh, even a smoke-colored. Are you uh, swimming it or hopping it or dragging it? Swimming it. Yep, just just tossing out, make a long cast, and just swimming it back, and they're going to hit it. All right, that sounds great. Last lake, 
I want to touch on is one I haven't fished for a long time, but I know you fish it quite a bit, and that's Trinidad. Trinidad, we just fished a tournament down there a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we ended up in second, uh, less than a pound. But the fishing's really good there. The water in Trinidad, they were doing a dam project early this year, so the water in Trinidad is the only lake that's not high. It's actually low. Um, but uh, it's got grass growing everywhere, and the yellow perch in there are really starting to take off. We caught, uh, we went down there and practiced and brought home six of them, and three of them were over 12 inches. And that's a pretty good-sized yellow perch for Colorado. So oh, I, that's beautiful, yeah. And there's walleyes down there, too, Terry. The walleyes aren't very, you know, you know, they look real real skinny and real, you know, real round, uh, just not real healthy-looking, but... Uh, uh, there's a lot of walleye being caught too, but the smallmouth bass fishery there is pretty incredible. And the guys, you know, there's always being trout caught. It seems like a lot of guys go down there just to fish for trout. So Trinidad's fishing are really good also too, but it's it's the only lake that we fish this year that's not real high. All right. Well, my friend, we've got to let you go. We're running short on time, but when you come on again, it's going to be in a couple of weeks to tell us how you won the national championship with those kids. <laughs> I hope so, sir. Good luck. It. You guys have a good day. Thank you very much, Terry. Thanks, Bye-bye. Sam. That's Sam Heckman. What a great resource. Those Southeast Lakes, folks, you want to get away from the crowds, go down there and fish. I mean, Pueblo gets crowds, but it's a big, big lake. But John Martin is just fishing phenomenal. You want to catch fish, just get down there and try it. We're taking time out. When we come back, we're going to talk fly fishing right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. I want to go right to the phones. Uh, joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is Tony. Good morning, Tony. Hey, Terry. Thanks for having us on. You know, I've been talking to quite a few of the conventional uh, spin-type fishermen today, and the constant theme is this is not a typical year, and then especially if you compare it to the hot, dry year we had last year with no snowfall going into last year, and they're really having to approach things differently than they would this time of the year. As a fly angler, is that what you're experiencing? Yes, sir, Terry. It's been quite a different year from last year. Um, definitely last year with that drought made things quite tough getting into our kind of dog days of summer. Um, and on the flip side this year, we're basically at the complete opposite. You know, the rivers are real high. Um, you know, They've been coming down a little bit over the last few weeks. But we're seeing quite high water um, in all rivers. Obviously, the reservoirs are quite full with capacity as well. And with all this torrential rain we're getting, um, it's fluctuating those rivers from time to time as those storms go through. So definitely switching up your tactics a little bit, uh, maybe comparable to last season. You know, one of the things I want to ask you, I know that the water's been running high for quite a while, and typically that will clear the water up. So you probably have higher flows than normal, but clear water. But is the rain messing that up? Is that dirtying it a little bit? You know, Terry, from time to time, that is correct. You know, the rain does bring, you know, some mud and some uh, debris into those uh, river complexes. But for the most part, um, right now, the rivers have been real clear. Um, We've been having reports, you know, down south by the Dream Stream. Those flows have been getting pretty close to average um, on the South Platte, and that's real clear. Um, And then even up here in Cheeseman in the Deckers area, um, that's also been pretty clear. And with those rainstorms that come through, you may see a little turnoff Um, and clarity throughout that storm. But usually within 24 to 48 hours, that clears up quite well um, to the position where it's very clear, um, almost normal clarity again. And some of the rivers, I don't know, I want to talk more about the ones you fished that you just mentioned, but how about some of the other rivers like the Colorado or the Arkansas? Are you hearing much about them? 
Yeah, you know, the Colorado's been fishing great. We've been doing quite a few float trips out there um, recently. You know, up until the last month or two, um, the water was so dang high that it was really tough for us to take our float trips out there um, just as a safety standpoint. So the last few weeks, that Colorado River, at least in Kremlin, is running right around 1,800 cubic feet per second, um, which is about in half of what it was um, maybe three, four weeks ago. So the Colorado's been fishing great, um, definitely a good flow um, for safety out there for recreational boaters as well as guide groups. Um, you know, the Arkansas is still a little high up there, but things have been fishing well. Um, a lot of good hopper-dropper action um, on a lot of our rivers, especially kind of up in those uh, – you know, kind of northwest corridors of different sections or even down the south, that hopper dropper has been, um, you know, killer all throughout our rivers here in the state of Colorado. Well, you know, that ho- I love the hopper dropper because at my age I can see it. <laughs> and then with my casting, if it splashes down a little bit, you're okay because that's what a hopper does. But with the higher flows, I would think the hopper dropper would really shine even more than normal. Absolutely, Terry. That is 100% correct. A lot of people that have been coming into our store, um, as well as our guide groups, we've been really seeing some great surface activity. Um, and, you know, the hatches have been a little prolonged, too, with that higher volume of water that's been a little bit cooler, uh, maybe in summers in the past. We've been seeing a little bit longer of our hatches, maybe a little later as well. So some of your late summer mayflies, your trichos, your pale morning duns, um, and then obviously with that high water, you get a lot of ants and beetles and grasshoppers that kind of get swept in there in between the rain. So fishing close to the banks during this little bit higher water and using hopper dropper is a great way to catch fish right now and going forward towards our fall season. What about some of the other local rivers we don't hear as much about, like Clear Creek and Bear Creek? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Clear Creek and Bear Creek are great local options here um, close to the metro. Bear Creek's been quite fishable for a while. Um, Clear Creek has just came to about 300 CFS, so that's pretty safe to fish now. It is a little high, but definitely not at that seven, eight, nine hundred mark we were seeing um, weeks ago. One thing to pay attention if you are fishing Clear Creek is always make sure you know what the weather's doing um, as far as rain. Clear Creek's a freestone river, and when that rain starts to um, downpour, as we've seen pretty much daily the last few weeks, it's very important that if you're in Clear Creek and you're waiting, that you just monitor those water levels and just safety is the number one concern. Um, sometimes you can catch some really great fish up to leading up to a storm, but always making sure you're safe if that water starts to rise pretty quickly. You at least got a plan B and how to get out of there safe. One of my recommendations for waiting is always that, first of all, if you can't see the bottom, you have to be extremely careful. But if you're any mm-hmm. question at all about whether the conditions are waitable, leave your waiters at home because you brought it up earlier. During those flows, the fish are really usually by, right by the bank anyway. And if you go out with your waiters, you're going to be tempted to take that step you shouldn't take. But That's perfect advice. I couldn't agree more. But one thing I want to get, we've got a couple minutes left, and what I want to get from you now is I know you guys fish the the South Platte a lot, and you fish a lot of the rivers. Give me a couple spots right now where if you were headed out this afternoon or tomorrow, where would you go and what kind? What would you expect to use? Yeah, so I'll talk about a couple different spots. You know, the first one being the South Platte there in Deckers. Obviously, it's, you know, probably the closest um, water near Denver that, you know, kind of offers some bigger fish um, and maybe some larger locations to kind of test your water, or excuse me, test your skills on some bigger water. So the Deckers area is fishing great doing hopper dropper stuff, maybe dropping it with a PMD, a, a nymph, a pale morning dun, or even a beadhead caddis, I think would get you in the right position. And then if you didn't want to go too far away, 
Um, as we were just talking about, Clear Creek is a great option. The flows have been coming down to a much more fishable and safe level. And using just single dry flies out there, a stimulator, a chubby Chernobyl, um, or even using some of your smaller dry flies um, for your midges um, would be great options in there too. Having some great visual activity on those strikes um, at Clear Creek and Deckers is a great time to get out right now and get after it. Well, I, I got to let you go, but I think we're going to be headed for one of the better fall fly fishing years we've had. These fish are going to be coming out of this summer, I think, healthier than they have for a few years. The flows will still start to come down, we would think. I guess we don't know that. And I would think we're going to have cool water, healthy fish, and it's setting up to be a tremendous fall, don't you? I agree. I think it's going to be one of the best falls in the last 10 years, and we're all really excited about it down here at the Blue Quill. So if somebody wants to book a trip or they just want to stop by and get some information, how do they find you guys? Yeah, so we're up in Evergreen, the Blue Quill Angler, um, right off 1532 Bergen Parkway. Um, been in Evergreen for about 30 years, and we're a full-service guide shop as well as education and retail store. Um, and if you're interested in booking a trip, feel free to give us a call at 303-674-4700 or visit our website at thebluequillangler.com, and we'd be happy to help you. All right. Tony, thank you so much. Great information. And as we get these flows, now that they're coming down, I think I'm going to get fly fishermen on a little more because I think we're going to have some of the with the miles of streams we got, and a lot of the fish haven't been harassed because of these flows. I agree with you. This is setting up to be a great fall. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks so much, Terry. Appreciate you. You bet. That's Tony from the Blue Quill Angler. We'll take a time out, and one of our favorite people, Ronnie Castiglione, is going to come on and uh, help us deal with some of these conditions we're seeing that are so different this year on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports. And I've been telling you about getting ready for hunting. If you're looking in an ATV or side-by-side as part of your hunting uh, equipment, you need to get the sun right now because the sale they've got going on with rebates and factory clearance beats none, and their inventory is unbelievable. Just go to sunnynt.com or 88th in Washington, and we'll go to the phones. We're waiting to talk to us about some great fishing techniques is Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Mr. Terry Wickstrom. How are you doing this morning? You know, I do, I'm do. i doing great, and I was looking at my notes, and you want to talk about timing the bite. And, you know, over the years, and especially when I was younger, oh, I kept a fishing log, and I would say, okay, the crappies at this lake turn on now. The, the walleyes move to the deeper structure where I spoon for them now. They move out to suspend now. The bass are in the grass now. You know, all those things are probably going to happen, but timing the bite's a little different this year, isn't it? Because the timing is different because of the high flows and cool water. Yeah, you know, Terry, it's definitely a different kind of year with this high water and the way it's changed it. But we're getting into those dog days of summer. There's no doubt about it right now. You know, I'm on horse tube today, and it, it definitely feels like a, a mid-summer kind of a hot day up here that we got going. And, you know, fishing on days like that, it's not just about seasonal timings that I wanted to talk about, Terry, but I also wanted to talk about timing it throughout the day and how the bite can really change this time of year. Throughout the day, the areas you're going to catch fish on might change dramatically throughout the day. 
day, and the presentations that you might use to catch those fish can change dramatically throughout the day. So it's not just about paying attention to, you know, whether these bass are usually shallow or deep this time of year and, or, and that sort of a thing. But throughout the day, Terry, are they moving up in the middle of the night? Are they shallow real, real early in the morning? Can you catch them on shallow presentations like service lures and maybe shallow running jerk baits real early in the morning? Where do those fish go once the sun really gets up high? You know, you talk about a lake like Boyd, real, real early in the morning, we get out there and we chase white bass this time of year. But then once the white bass kind of go, go, go off, once the sun really gets up, then, you know, it's about running around and trying to time those largemouth and figuring out where they're at. When do they get under the mats? When do they get on the docks? All of those kind of things really change throughout the day here, Terry. Well, I just watch Karen, and when she starts catching something, that's what I do. <laughs> but, you know, that's an excellent uh, approach there. And, you know, people really need to pay attention to when and where they're catching fish and why. So, you know, a bite that happens really, really good this time of year, Terry, and it has to do with this tremendous amount of boat traffic that we have on our lakes this time of year, is that boat traffic bite, Terry. You know, you can time that throughout the year on these bodies of water. And we've talked in the past about fishing mud lines and, and, and that sort of a thing that kind of form when the, when the boats are running around. But there's other bites throughout the lake. Some of the deep bites really get going once the boats start to move around a body of water like horse tooth. So a lot of times, you know, early in the morning, if you run these main lake points on a lake like horse tooth, you may be able to catch some shallow fish real early, right before the sun really gets up. And then they might turn off for a few hours and they might be really hard to get to bite. But say 10, 1030 rolls around and now the boating traffic's really picked up. Now you got a bunch of wakes and a bunch of current that starts slapping up against that point. That's a lot of the times when I can run around and find that deeper bite, that bite that may be going down at 20 to 40 feet deep, that's when those fish get active is when those when those, when those wakes start breaking off the rocks and that sort of thing, Terry. So one example of trying to time out of water. No, you know, and you're, that's a great example, Ronnie. It really is. You know, I used to live, I live in uh, Fort Collins now, but I used to live by Cherry Creek Reservoir. And a lot of times during the summer when I wanted to go walleye fishing there, I wouldn't even go out until the water skiers were in full swing. Because people used to think, oh, the boaters are going to scare the fish and put them down. I could get right in the wake of those water skiers. They were hitting shad. Those fish were used to the boats over them. They were creating a chop that broke the light. And some of my best fishing would happen right in the middle of the day. Yeah, absolutely, Terry. And, and that is about timing that best fishing. You know, being a guide, guiding for, you know, eight years, nine years now, uh, you know, our guide trips, you know, are, are five hours long, Terry. So when I think about how I have to divide up my, my guide trip throughout the day, it really becomes all about trying to time those particular bites that I've, I've figured out and I know are going around the lake. So, you know, it's really about thinking about that on a guide trip because there's a, you know, it's not a, it's a finite amount of time that I have a, have a customer on the boat. So, you know, guiding really kind of instills that. But just the everyday fisherman, the everyday angler, the tournament angler, that sort of thing, just paying attention to the timing on those bites. If you come to a spot too early, a lot of times those fish may not bite. And if you're late to the party, you know, everything everything's already been eaten. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really timing is very, very important. Now, the other thing to mention is, you know, real early, real late in the day this time of year, definitely the early riser and the late angler, the guy that stays out real late or the guy or lady that stays out real late, they're going to be rewarded this time of year, Terry. So uh, that's another timing aspect. The other thing about it is looking at the weather and things like that, Terry, looking at wind, looking at, you know, fronts that are moving in, whether you're going to get afternoon or if it's going to be sunny all day. Timing that bite can also really lead to a lot more success this time of year, Terry. Oh, you're absolutely right. And people need to pay attention to that. And 
you know, uh, if most fishermen, Ronnie, when they're out fishing, they they may spend let's just say they spend four to six hours on the water a weekend angler, and he has a a really what he considers a good day. If he really went back and analyzed it, he probably had a couple spurts where the fishing was phenomenal and some dead time in between. Now, occasionally you'll get bites that are steady, but you're exactly right. The fish either you find active fish or they come through or the fish you were over all of a sudden turn on. And we see that happen all the time. And a lot of it's the factors you've been talking about. Absolutely. And you really need to also, in a lot of occasions, understand your own skill set and understand whether or not you have the ability to stand in a boat or something like that when there's a lot of boats running around. So that's a consideration. You know, one thing I consider with clients a lot, when we get on a lake like Boyd, Terry, inevitably we end up fishing docks, uh, you know, a good portion of the day. Um, you know, timing those docks is very, very important. I know there's certain docks that run north and south. There's certain docks that face east and west. And uh, by the sun angle and where the sun's at in the sky, it puts the shade either on one side or the other or puts it directly underneath the dock. Well, my clients that aren't particularly skilled, they're going to struggle with getting those fish when the shade is directly under a dock. But if I time it right and I get to it early enough in the day or I get to it late enough in the day or I pick the dock that's running north and south, then I know there's going to be a good shade line, let's say 9 o'clock, on that west side of that dock that runs north and south, as opposed to fishing the dock, you know, that's that's running east and west, and then the shade's basically right in under that dock, Terry. So, you know, that's one of the things you got to consider, and, and timing that on a, a lot of lakes that have docks, that can really make a big difference as far as, you know, your numbers and the quality of fish. I, I also I want to touch on what you said about know your skill set. You go to a lake like Boyd, and a lot of people in Colorado that fish aren't very practice, let's say, at flipping a piece of plastic into the heaviest cover. You and I have gone on Boyd and put a plastic lure in places where people would swear they'd never get it back and come out with a fish. You can't necessarily teach somebody, you know, with practice, it takes time. They can learn to do that. But if they're only an occasional bass fisherman, that's when we talk. Be out there early when those fish are maybe on the outside of that cover, and then you can get them with that top water or get them with that other bait that you can fish effectively. Absolutely. Or they'll come out, they'll bite that spinnerbait or they'll bite something like that that's going along the side. You know, you think about those mats that grow on Boyd and the way the shade comes off those mats. Middle of the day, the shade's straight down. You know, it's right below the thickest part of the whole thing. But earlier in the day and later in the day, that shade's going to kind of push off to one side. And a lot of times you'll find those fish on particular side of those mats area they're a little more likely to come by and bite that square bill or, or take a bite at that swim bait or, or, or that easy to throw up there because it's not going to snag, but it can't really punch right through that heavy weight on it. You know, timing that, that's all timing. That's all those real small things, Terry. And if the anglers pay attention to those kind of things and kind of track it, you talk about keeping a journal, that's important. The other thing that works really good nowadays, Terry, is, you know, just snapping pictures, not necessarily glory pictures because you want to know you caught a fish, but have a picture of when and where you caught a fish, and then you can look at the time stamp on your picture, and you can say, hey, we caught those fish on that bank all at 9 o'clock. You know, that technology we got, Terry. Ronnie, you cut out on us a little bit. Hopefully it'll hold up here for 30 seconds. If you were, it's going to be really nice weather today and tomorrow. Might have a storm come through, but if you were going fishing, one or two spots you'd hit. Did I lose you, Ronnie? All right. We're not getting Ronnie. His phone's cutting out. Ronnie, I'm going to have to let you go, but thank you so much for the information. He was out on the water catching fish, and I got a secret. I don't know if he can hear us or not, but, you know, Ronnie's a new daddy, 
And so he hasn't had as much time on the water the last few weeks as, as he wants. So he's torn right now. Do I stay out here and catch a couple more fish, or does that little one want me back home? So congratulations to him and Kristen for uh, everything they're going through and uh, just uh, having a great time. The, the bad times will come in about 15 years, Ronnie, just so you know. Anyway, hey, we're going to wrap things up here in just a couple minutes. There's going to be sports coming on after us, and uh, I think they're going to talk about the Broncos football team. Uh, in all seriousness, Broncos had their first preseason game, the Hall of Fame. Those guys will come. I'm sure they'll analyze that. Don't put too much stock in what you saw in that because we'll probably uh, see a lot more. We've got four more preseasons. But join us every week here on Saturday for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, except in two weeks, because of the Broncos, they're having a special training camp edition. We're going to move this show over to ESPN for that Saturday. That's the 17th. And actually, Chad Lachance is going to host it. So it'll be a, a special edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN, hosted by Chad Lachance. So, and we're going to have some shuffling with the schedule a little bit as we get into the next, uh, as we get into the next few, uh, next few weeks. So we'll keep you posted on Facebook. Follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We'll let you know what's going on. Thanks to Kyle for keeping us on the air. Thanks to Karen for making me look smart. And thank all of you for listening. Uh, we'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and sports on 104.3 The Fan.